everybody, it is I, uh, Ryan, the host of DM Told Me To, and I wanted to give you guys an update with how things are going. And so I've heard feedback from you guys from last week if this is something I should do, and it was a resounding yes. Um, the amount of people that commented on the YouTube videos that uh, reached me DMing in Reddit that just showed interest in the Discord um, just blew up and it was great. So I wanted to give you guys the first kind of update of where I'm going. Um, I want to stop you here if you're listening on listening platforms. That's awesome. Thank you for downloading. Um, I am primarily going to be showing the first few pages that I've made on GM Binder. Um, best way to look at it would be on the YouTube. I think I'll be able to make a link. Like I'm bare discretion to start with. If you want to see what's on my screen because I'm going to be showing you everything that's going on um on youtube just be sure to type in dm told me to it's the same logo as our podcast i'm sure you can find it uh if you're there give a sub great if you're already sub shout out to you guys um otherwise i'm going to be showing you guys and if you just want to listen that's completely fine too i'm going to be talking about some of the stuff that i've written in the first few pages um start with a discretion of things um also, if you're not a member of the Discord and you'd like to contribute to this project, be sure to let me know. Um, you can links down below. Um, it, yeah, and I look forward to having you join. Uh, and anyway, also Reddit for Aramon that will be linked in the description as well to also check out. Shout out to some people for helping me out with making that. So yeah. Um, without further ado, I wanted to start by showing and saying, I. Last week, how to figure out how to work with GM Binder. Having never had any coding or technology talk, only heard my friends talk about using Python and things like that, I was a little bit over my head. So, <laughs> there's not a ton of stuff to show, but I just want to give you guys an update on where things were going. So, I guess this is our Roman update one um, as part of our series that I guess maybe I could do weekly. We'll see, it depends on how busy my school life is. But um, being able to do this weekly to show you guys the updates that I made to the project to show that stuff is happening behind the scenes, I think is a great way to show you guys where we're at. Um, if you want to join the discussion, like I said, Discord is the primary place, and hopefully it can do more stuff talking about stuff on the Reddit, giving updates, things like that. So without further ado, I'm going to get started. Let me see if I can do this right. Heck yeah. Okay. So those on YouTube, you can see my screen right now. For those that are listening on the podcast end, which is totally fine, you can. I'm just going to describe some stuff that you see. So the cover page of Aruman, it's the card until I get some art or some other stuff to help out with possibly a cover or make some art for later on in the book, etc. So for now, it's just the cover. Um, I made a nice little, uh, so it says Aruman, and down below it says the CCG inside of D&D. And I want to make this very clear. Um, this is a very consider alpha 00.1 <laughs> if you will of the book i'm sure a lot of changes will be made with things so this is not set in stone yet i just wanted to do this to show you guys an update of that stuff is happening behind the scenes stuff is coming into process i cannot guarantee at all when this will be done because this is a big challenge for me on my plate but i've done DD for years so this seems like a very fun thing that i'd like to pursue and go forth all right so like i was saying the cover just the card Showing off everything, which you guys have seen the card by now. Um, and this is a, thing, a CCG inside of DD. Alright, so I'll read you guys the introductory note, and I'm sure you guys can see it on your screen, but I like to just read it for those at home. Um, introductory note. Welcome to the world of Aruman. And it says how to say it in parentheses AR-RO-MON for Aruman. 
Uh, Aramana creatures that inhabit this world that resemble that of normal creatures in Dungeons and Dragons, but hold a magic secret to them. Once they are defeated in battle, or if they're willing to, they have a chance to drop their Aru. And uh, next part's in parentheses, which is their very magical essence, in parentheses, as a card. This magical essence can be called forth for a variety of reasons. The creatures, once summoned, are sentient creatures and will remember their time by remember their time is by your side. Verification two. I mean, sound like I can speak English very well. I cannot. I cannot write English to save my life. Um, I'm gonna have some friends before I hopefully put the link in. Be able to just go through quick. Maybe edit my English. There's gonna be some between uh, some like um, adjustments that have to be made. But like I said, rough, rough draft. But I want to show you guys some updates being made. Anyway, um, the creatures once summoned are like I said, sentient creatures, and will remember their times by your side. Those that possess cards of Aruman are referred to as Aromancers. Aromancers are those that wield their own deck full of cards that they've acquired from their travels to use to help them achieve their goals out in the world. This goal can be fighting other Aromancers, fighting wild Aruman, and even summoning them outside of battle. Their deck of cards grow and change in size as they become more well-versed in the art of Aromancy. This is quite different from the usual game of D&D because instead of you rolling to attack a monster, you will instead choose from a selection of a few card options you've added into your deck to do the fighting. So, uh, while you can use creatures to fight for you, the risks of character death are still very possible. So I want to make that very clear, right? So if you and your friends going out and you come across a wild creature, right, you guys could fight it. And how you fight it is you summon creatures to fight for you to duke it out and you can also play spell cards, etc. We'll get into that later on, but that creature, it, if you can't summon a creature to defend yourself, that creature could hit you. <laughs> so the risk of death is still very possible. Um, also, this module will continue to be updated as the world of D&D releases more creatures, but for now it only contains the monsters in the player's handbook. I did not want to avoid myself, add in Volvos, etc. So for now, we're just going to start with the basic creatures in D&D. And um, on top of that, too, I will be also making homebrew evolutions for majority of the creatures. Um, so that should be fun, too. And we'll get into evolutions and stuff, hopefully, on a later update. Um, but so anyway, this module, like I said, will be updated as um, I want to finish and just do the normal creatures for now. World of D&D, the intro creatures. Got my monster manual over there that I've been going through, making a separate list that's not going to be part of this update. But to go through and showcase some of the monsters that'll be in it. Um, we'll get to those a little bit later too. Um, so this idea was brought to you by the podcast DM told me to. Obviously, that's how you're listening to this right now. If you're on podcast platforms, or if you're on YouTube, you'll be able to check out the YouTube channel podcast DM the uh, the channel DM told me to. Along with the help from members of the DM told me to Discord for their creative inputs and playtesting. I already have some people that reached out to me saying, "Hey, I want to be a playtester for when you finish it stuff, and just let me know. I want to play with my group, give feedback, and that is awesome. If you want to be a playtester and you want." To be once this finally releases and be able to give me your input on hey hey ryan this is really overpowered or hey ryan could you maybe spice this class up it's not as reaching the par as other classes so um and i'll get into that in a second too but so if this ideal sounds interesting and you want to play test um dm me on discord so that i know and i'll make a running list on my end of people i'll reach out to and be like hey here's the final copy um Go nuts with your group. Let me know what your thoughts are. And eventually, at some point, I'll be assembling probably a crew of people to um, help me play test the game. Um, now, while there's the cast of DM Told Me Too and you know them and you love them, 
a lot of them were here for Pokemon things, which is great. And hopefully they'll like to maybe continue this idea with me. I know it's not exactly Pokemon, but nonetheless, it is <laughs> um, a capturing collectible fighting creature system. So maybe they'll still want to play. I don't know. I shot the idea to some of them, but hopefully they'll check out this video and see what this is all about. Um, uh, if I have openings in my crew of people, I might reach out to the Discord and be like, hey, listen, who would like to, who's available this time and would like to possibly join us? And that could be a fun thing too. So if that's an idea and you want to get on board to possibly have a chance to do that, maybe hop in the Discord. But anyway, I want to give a special thanks to uh, DJS, Deadly Queen, and Bundle of Sticks for all their behind-the-scenes work in creating this material and this manual and stuff like that. And as more people help, I'll be sure to list more people's names and things. So if you want to have a, your name possibly mentioned in a module of a new idea that's coming to D&D, be sure to hop in the Discord and give your valuable input when I type in with a question of, hey, how should this ruling go? I want to make this very clear. Um, we've done a lot of discussing on the Discord up to this point. Um, that all about pin messages of rules that I have to add to the manual and stuff. So there's not going to be very many rules described right now on specific game mechanics. But I wanted to go into explaining kind of the early stages of what an Armancer is, what they can see early on that they could get on each levels, etc. So um, hopefully you guys, and, the, and I end the introductory note by saying, Hopefully you enjoy collecting and battling with your friends. Uh, Ryan Nolan, host of DM Told Me To. So yeah, uh, hopefully you guys will enjoy this once this becomes a full thing, but I wanted to at least show this for now um, and get a little bit started on what else I've done. I haven't just made two pages, don't worry. I've, I've done a lot behind the scenes, even for you guys on Discord. It might seem like I'm pinging you guys with questions all the time, but I've done even more than that. So let's get into the actual nit and gritty of what's going on here. So we're gonna start with writing an answer, And I say, um, we ask that you choose human as your race for this due to the fact that other races have magical ties to the Aru, as well as other races may appear as creatures to assist you in combat. Your class for this game mode must be an Aromancer. Obviously, you have to kind of be an Aromancer to cast and summon cards, collect cards to build your deck, etc. So you cannot be an Aromancer versus being like a cleric or a warlock, etc. And the reason why I suggest kind of humans is this um, I brought up this idea with some people talking about different things that. Um, the whole idea of if I'm playing as a different race, put a book over there, excuse me. Um, as I play a different race um, and I'm collecting and summoning creatures of my race, does that get kind of weird? And I kind of discussed with some people about this and the idea that it kind of does became really prevalent, right? Like the idea that I'm a goblin or I'm playing as a hobgoblin, right? And I am summoning goblins those are my people is that kind of weird that i'm capturing collecting using my own creatures or if i'm playing as a human and i'm summoning a soldier that's a human does that get kind of weird right i'm capturing and fighting with my own race and i guess our thing that we determined was kind of yes now obviously if you play this at home if you're a dm and you come across this module and this seems really interesting to you and you want to have your players play different races by all means that's totally fine um, just the idea, and it could be that they are a creature that possess magical powers of the Oru and want to summon creatures of their fellow kinds to fight. And like I said, these are sentient creatures, right? So perhaps if you're a gob if you're a hobgoblin general and you play a goblin themed deck of goblin creatures and they're people of your army, that's totally cool. Like that's an awesome idea. Um, for general simplicity's sake, this is kind of like a basic mind manual for people that want to try to maybe play this first time that are new to D&D, but like the idea of collectible card games then this is an idea to have them possibly just start as humans so that they're not totally overwhelmed with everything going on. Plus being that humans are kind of one of the most basic races to play as without a lot of extra fluff, you know? 
Anyway, uh, class features. So as an Aromancer, you gain the following class features. Your hit dice will be 1d8 per Aromancer level. Hit points at first level is 8 plus your comma. Your background is a choice of an enhanced background. Ryan, what's an enhanced background, you ask? We'll get to that <laughs> uh, later on towards the ending of this, of this video here. But anyway, um, I've gone through and I've taken the list of the general backgrounds in the player's handbook, uh, tweaked a few, even made my own custom one. So yes, this book will come with its own custom background. Um, and done adjustments to give each of them a perk to using certain creatures in your deck because ultimately, like I said, this is a collectible card game inside of D&D. So hit points at higher levels of 1d8 plus your combat, etc. All that jazz. So proficiencies, uh, you will have light armor uh, because ultimately you're going to be out in the field fighting wild creatures, summoning your creatures to help protect you against creatures of this world. Uh, while I could have said no armor and had you be just squish, um, that idea did come across me and then I realized, well, as you're exploring these dungeons, you level up, get stronger, fight stronger creatures, run across stronger things. If you can't summon something and you get hit, you could get down pretty quick. <laughs> so, uh, I figured just light armor, basics light armor. Because I don't picture these guys wearing totally heavy armor. Now, um, saving throws is intelligence. So you have these are all proficiencies, right? So you have a saving throw proficiency buff to intelligence because ultimately you are a like a wizard in air quotes, right? You use your intelligence to cast spells, do certain things, to summon these creatures in the first place. So uh, skills is arcana. You're proficient with arcana, obviously, for summoning creatures. And you choose two just from the skill list in general, just two from skills that you want to be proficient in that you think helps shape your character more. That's totally cool. Equipment. You start with the following equipment in addition to your equipment granted by your enhanced background. So you're going to start with an Aromancer license, a Dungeons, Explorers, or Scholars pack, depending on what your background is, um, a starting Aru disc, we'll get into that in a second, a starting Aru deck, an Aromancer card binder, an Oromon card binder, and a deck of 10 starter cards given by your class. Now it's a lot to take in, so we're going to break it down here. An Oromancer license. Only it is uh, only licensed Oromancers are permitted to cast cards and get full use out of their cards. This license identifies you as having such power to be able to harness the Oru and summon creatures to aid you. This allows you to have access to guild halls across the world and to purchase card packs at their facilities. Going to take care of your Oromon can result in a guild leader to revoke your license for not respecting the Oru and the power it provides. So, obviously, this is a general statement right hopefully when i play this with some people at some point um, when it's finished i like the whole kind of guild system right you either level up as an oromancer through fighting creatures gaining xp etc or you could level up through gaining ranks in the guild and obviously making the supplement in the idea of a guild setting i'll make potential guild ranks hopefully show the whole guild level up system <laughs> and all that in this book um i have a lot i have to do don't worry but and also dealing with school and things like that, so that's fun. But anywho, I digress. Um, the whole idea, right, is I made this in a general shell supplement. You were allowed to break down, use any different ideas that you want for different ideas to play at home. Let's say you want to get rid of the whole guild system and you want people to just, like, maybe discover a card, like in the whole Bakugan sense, right? Like, cards rain from the sky, etc. You have a key card that's, like, your key thing, etc. And all that. Um, anyway, um, you can do this in any shell that you want, right? So I want to make sure that that's clear. I just kind of did this in the guild shell to give it 
theme to it. Um, you can obviously buy card packs anywhere. Uh, other ideas could be like people could help you out and give you a card pack for helping them as a reward, etc. Um, anywho, uh, like I said, failing to take care of your Oromon can result in a guild leader to revoke your license for not respecting it. So, um, and the Aurora and the power that provides. So basically, since these are sentient beings, right, some people could abuse these monsters for power. And if the guild leader or people that you work for are seeing that you're not taking care of these creatures and you're just summoning them to do grunt work for you, uh, essentially the creatures don't like that and your relationship with them could be strained. And they maybe reach a point where they might not listen to you if you're not being good to them. I don't know. That's up to DM discretion, obviously. And as DMs, um, that are planning to run this game, you can have as much freedom as you want with this. <laughs> like I said, this is a very flexible model. It's just to give the, the idea and how it works for a collectible card game inside of D&D. Um, anywho, so that's an Aromancer license, right? It also then, it shows you, gives you your ID, your identity, your who you are as an Aromancer, and helps you be able to represent yourself in the form of other guild halls if you're exploring around the world, etc. Maybe you get perks for being one. I don't know. Up to DM discretion, etc. So... Yeah. So a starting Auro disc that you start with, right? An Oromancer begins with a starting astral color disc that contains a wrist strap to attach to either arm. This disc at base level has no additional properties, but others can be found out in the world that contain special properties to aid you in combat. In combat, after two of your Oromon have been knocked out, your disc will stop powering and you will have lost the fight. A disc needs a long rest to recharge all of its depleted Auro. So, what that means, right, uh, if you're fighting a wild creature and two of your Oromon get knocked out, the disc will cease to provide Oru, or the magic, right, that makes these creatures be what they are, and it just stops functioning and you need a long rest to recharge all this depleted Oru. Now, if your disc, if you lose one creature in one fight and another creature in the next fight, you're fine. Each fight is of its own separate entity. So, that way it kind of gives some balance, right? Um, I was kind of going for the idea of you see certain games like Pokemon or certain games like um, other games where it's, if you knock out all the opponent's things, the, the, they lose the fight. <laughs> well, you're playing this game and you have three or four players and each player has to have all their mons get knocked out, right? That would be a huge endeavor and <laughs> the fights would take forever. So to get around that, right, is um, two, right? You lose two creatures, that's it. And obviously, like I said, a lot of this stuff has been playtested. So maybe two is way too many and has to be one creature. I don't think one is fair. So two is, say, bare minimum. Um, and maybe it's like people will DM me after they play this a few times or play this a bit with their players, and they're like, listen, my players they just keep getting knocked out and they can't beat a fight because they lose two creatures too fast. And maybe they'll change to three, you know, my ideas. This is the bare-bone introductory system for this, right? So it's obviously going to go through changes. So, But for now, if you lose two creatures and a fight, you're done. Now, that could change based on the opponent. Maybe as DMs, you give the opponent stronger creatures. If they're fighting another uh, Oromancer and they're duking it out, maybe for like a puzzle piece or something in like a dungeon, could be a fun idea. Um, also, part of my voice, I've done a lot of talking today and I'm quite tired, but uh, anywho. So a starting Auro Disc, right, lets you be able to cast creatures on it and summon things to help you fight, etc. So it's pretty cool. A starting Aru deck. An Aromancer starts with a deck composing of 10 cards. Each class path, we'll get to that in a second. So this class is an Aromancer, and that is different paths that you can take to have a different type of play style. Um, each class path will be given a pre-made deck to start with. 
Upon choosing said class, as an Aromancer grows, their set deck size will also increase, allowing more cards to be added in. So, I shall move over now and I'll show you guys, like I said, if you're on YouTube checking out the video, you'll be able to see this. <laughs> I made a full table of a very rough version model one, if you will, right? Of the Aromancer, what they get by levels, features, set deck size, spell card minimum, maximum, etc. I'm going to break this down quick for, for everybody here. So um, I'll get to that once I finish. I just have to explain the Aramon card binder quick and then we'll be done with the equipment, right? Um, an Aramon card binder is a special binder with card sheets in a 3 by 3 card fashion to hold your cards when they're not in your deck. Uh, it starts with five pages that are double-sided slots, and then they're going to hold 90 cards altogether. And additional sheets can be purchased at the card shop for 10 gold a sheet. That can obviously change depending on whatever BN you want. I just figure 10 is a good starting value. Basically what that means is you can hold 90 cards in addition to your starting deck of 10 cards. So 100 cards total uh, before you have to start doing some stuff with them. And you're going to be pretty far into the game when you, I think you fill that 90 card binder. But we'll see. So, Aramancer. Okay, so as an Aramancer, right? Start at level 1, proficiency bonuses go up as they would in normal D&D. I try to copy that pretty to a T. So we usually get a proficiency bonus. That usually happens here. That's the same. Levels 1 through 20, like usual. Features is when you start at level 1, you will discover your class path. You'll have a starting deck size of 10, and your spell card maximum is 2. So let me explain some of that stuff. So. Your spell card maximum of two. I'm just trying to see quickly if any of my notes here has them. Okay, so class path discovery is down here. Uh, when you choose to play as an Aromancer, you must choose which of the three class paths you'd like to play. With being able to control portions of the Auro, you have a specific niche for the types of spells you prefer to cast. Each class path can be looked at as a different play style when it comes to casting spells and acquiring certain Aromon. Right, so level one, you start off as an Aromancer and you choose your path. So your pathway will let you determine, do you want to play decks that are high in power? Do you want to play the supporting role like a celestial path? Or do you want to play like a chaotic uh, field manipulation kind of uh, class through the mystic, path, uh, mystic class path? And we'll get to more of those after I explain other stuff, right? So usually your set deck size will be limited to 10. No more than 10, no less than 10. Uh, that I found from doing quick just play testing in my experience, just fighting myself, right? Uh, 10 seems to be the, the so far, the, the golden number with two cards of that 10 being spells. And we'll get to all those later on. Just wanted to explain that quickly and what those each mean. So as you level up as an Aromancer, right, your set deck size will go from 10 to 12, 16 to 20 to 30. And those go up. Uh, every fifth level, it changes, I believe. I lied. Um, it varies. It varies. I based this off of another gaming system that was a cool system that had things change every certain so levels. So I know those listening um, won't be able to see it. Those that can see it, obviously you can see. Um, so anyway, so first level, right? You get the class path discovery. That's great. What do you get? Level two. You get this thing called external summon. What is external summon, you say? Well, External summon. You've learned the power to be able to summon any creatures from your deck to aid you outside of battle for one hour until they return to your deck. 
They can no longer be summoned again outside of battle until after a long rest. What this means is, right, um, on second level, you can summon a creature and it will be able to help you out in the world for up to an hour, right? So let's say that you are, for example, traveling in a caravan with your friends and you're off to a location to possibly help somebody do a quest that you picked up at the guild hall. And on your way, you all of a sudden look out the sides of the caravan and you see rustling through the grass these little goblin-looking creatures with long ears and they have like little trinkets. And you're like, oh, my starter deck has a goblin in it. I'm going to summon that goblin. And perhaps that goblin can talk to those other goblins, right? Because they are sentient creatures. Can talk to those other goblins, let them know like, hey, you're, you're a friend of the goblins. You know, you're not ones to be messed with. And by doing that, perhaps your group avoids getting ambushed by a bunch of goblins on your travel. Because you're like, I didn't sign up for this. I wasn't ready to do this, but I happen to have a goblin card. So you summon that creature to aid you up to an hour, right? And he's able to talk and have the creature perhaps roll persuasion to see if he can persuade his fellow goblins to not attack you um the way that i was thinking too about this game because you're going to have a lot of different creatures right this all sorts of different languages i would assume that the creatures that you summon have a telepathic bond if you will to you as the caster so that they can understand what you say or what commands you give them um, still up in the air if I want it to be a telepathic bond or a verbal bond that when you say something that they understand it in their language because you summoned them, but they can understand you as their caster. Now, your friend next to you that's trying to give a command to them, well, they might they won't understand unless they speak that language, right? So if you summon a giant and your friend next to you speaks giant, right? Um, let's say you summon a hill giant in battle, right? And your friend next to you tries to give that hill giant a command. If they speak giant, they, they can, right? Because the giant obviously speaks giant. But if they try to say it in common and the giant doesn't know common, then that won't work. But it will always understand you because you are their oromancer. So you've summoned them into this world to aid you for a task so they understand what you say. So for level two, right, when you reach external summon, if you try to give it a command, it'll always understand. If your friend tries to do it and they don't speak that creature's language, that's not going to come to fruition. That won't happen they'll have to maybe mime it draw pictures whatever you have your play group do you know uh anywho third level um their feature that normal mansion locks at third level is a key card this is something that the discord doesn't even know about so if you're on the discord and you're listening this is a cool idea that i thought about um i think it might be a cool idea so key card you've grown quite attached to your cards while at a guild hall parentheses or a safe place to long rest with an elite oromancer in parentheses you may choose an Oromon to represent your deck. When that card is played outside of a fight, it doesn't have a one-hour summon time and instead can stay out for as long as you'd like. So that, that basically gives the whole idea of this is my key card, this is my buddy. This guy is representing my deck, he's got the theme to the deck, he's my buddy, I, I like this creature a lot. And this helps give players the idea of summoning and having creatures in D&D that they wouldn't normally be able to see or experience, right? Um, anywho. Um, they can be switched out for other monsters as an action outside of battle. So if you're like, okay, hey buddy, I need you to go away for right now. I need to summon my eagle to take a bird's eye view around the area to see how we're looking before we go into battle. And you can come back after. But keep in mind, when you switch that eagle back out, that eagle card will have to wait till long rest be used again. But your buddy can always keep coming back out because he's your key card, right? He's your best buddy, your partner, if you will. If your partner gets knocked out in a battle and sent to the graveyard... They may still be summoned outside of battle afterwards. The only time they cannot is when your disc is recharging after having lost a battle. 
remember how we said, right, if you lose two creatures in a battle, your disc shuts off, it loses its aura connection, and it no longer ceases to function. That's the only time when you can't summon your buddy, because obviously to summon cards, you need aura to do so. And if your disc is recharging because it had two, two of its creatures die, then it doesn't, you, your buddy can't come out until after a long rest. So same is true for if you're trying to summon anything after a long rest, really. If your disc is shut off, you don't have the magic to do so. Okay, and besides that, you're at level 3, right? You still have plus 2 proficiency, your set deck size is still 10, you still can only have 2 spell cards max in your deck of 10 cards, etc. 4th level. So usually every 4 levels, which is constant here, that's something I kept constant from the normal D&D book, right? Usually have the option of, oh, I can pick a feat, I can have an ability score improvement. Well, I want to try something different. <laughs> well, that's possible. I figured I'd just call this feature enhancement, like a nice easy one word to describe things, right? So what is an enhancement, you ask? Well, every four levels, your Auromancer, your Auromancer will be able to take an ability score improvement, gain a feat, or they can bestow a feat to one of their Auromon cards who already does not have an enchantment bestowed. What does that mean? Well, if you can learn a feat, and instead you're looking at your car your cards and you're like, man, you know, if my, if my, I'm trying to think of a good example, right? Man, if my skeleton card got the melee master ability, that could be pretty sick. Where instead of him always getting his modifier that he gets, instead of getting an extra modifier to his role, he does additional damage, right? I'm trying to remember a feat off the top of my head. And I think melee master is... You subtract 5 from your attack roll or something, and you get a plus 10 to damage. That's rough, cloudy, cloudy remembering of it. I know it's probably not to a T, but that's a part of it, right? So you're like, man, okay, my skeleton, I know he's still young, right? But if me rolling, instead of him getting a plus 3 to his attack, he instead only now gets a minus 2, but he hits with plus 10. So when he hits, he hits like a truck on something. He flats out, almost kills it early on, you know? Um... I think that'd be a cool idea. And then as I collect more skeleton cards, I can level up that skeleton card, make it stronger, and eventually it'll have no penalty to when it attacks, and it'll just keep hitting really hard. Um, basically, that says, right, is you can give one of your cards every four levels. Either you can give yourself, you can give one of your cards, or you can have ability score improvement, um, a feat. And you kind of have that choice. And this way, because usually in D&D, right, and, and at least in my experience playing, I've been playing for quite a few years now, um, when a player gets a feat, they usually are limited to picking a feat that's, that's pertinent to them, right? Meaning, I'm not going to take Mountain Combatant if I don't plan to ride anything. But, if I give one of my cards that is riding something, or has the ability to ride something, the Mountain Combatant feat, because it usually rides something on its own, then I'm going to give it that, and it's going to have that huge benefit from naturally being able to ride something and having that ability. Or if it's such as like a crossbow master, and you give it to one of your goblin archer cards, right? Now that goblin archer card gets that huge benefit of having marksman or that archer feat that you otherwise wouldn't use because you're like, I don't have weapons. That's something to point out in this game too. Use summon creatures to fight for you. Whether if it's like a, maybe Yu-Gi-Oh! Pokemon, Digimon, Hybrid, whatever you want to call it, right? Uh, but you yourself don't really, you don't have weapons to use, unlike normal D&D. So you're not there swinging a flail, instead you're summoning a, a, a knoll to hit it with its flail. You know what I mean? So that's how the whole enhancement process works every four levels. Pretty cool. I happened to enjoy it. I thought it was a really good addition idea. Um, now, <laughs> like I said, 
I sound like a broken record saying this. If in playtesting, giving certain creatures certain feats become way too broken every four levels, so every four levels you can only give it to one thing, that becomes weight, and obviously if it has something, you can't give it an additional feat. If that becomes too much, I might have to go back to that and just keep the normal every four levels, just you get an ability score improvement or you get a feat. But I kind of looked at it as, you are a homebrew class that doesn't use weapons. So you getting a feat, that knocks out a lot of feats that use weapons. Don't usually ride things in this class, that knocks out a lot of things that involve riding... Things like that. So I was like, why not be able to give those options to your creatures in your deck? So I have to see, like I said, early stuff. I just want to show you guys where we're at. Uh, anywho. Uh, five. The fifth level. Additional slots. What is that feature? You mean additional slots? Well, now your deck can hold 12 cards instead of 10. You're probably like, why are the deck sizes 10, 12, 16, 20, and 30? Here's why. <laughs> Your deck's going to be a list of cards in the table that you can make on your back of your character sheet, type it up in an Excel document, whatever you want to use. I originally had them go up by fives each time, and then I was like, well, rolling a uh, 15 on a die is quite hard, unless you want to just keep re-rolling a six. So instead, I figured you make a D10 table, a D12 table, a D10 plus six table, a D20 table, and a D30 table. Now that D10 plus six, you're probably like, oh, you'll never hit one. And that could be beneficial to you. And I'll explain that later on. Let me get to that of how rolling like a specific number or not rolling a specific number is advantageous to you. Get to that later on. Um, anywho, back to the additional slots, right? So you get 12 for your deck slot and you can have three spell cards, which is actually quite strong. Um, the reason why having the spell card maximum in your deck is so small, and you're like, why? What is this? Because usually spells in D&D hit quite hard. <laughs> They're quite useful. And especially early game in this game, when you're fighting things that have very few hit points. And not good protection usually, not good saves usually, so... Being able to cast spells just freely, willy-nilly, uh, quite strong, right? Let's say you just cast a fire, because as a Aromancer, while you have a creature out, you can proceed to cast a spell from your hand as your turn, instead of giving your creature the attack that it could have from its sheet, or its ability, or its, its stat block, I should say. It means I could cast a spell from your hand instead. So being able to cast a firebolt on something probably deals a little more damage than your skeleton attacking it with a short sword. That's just how it is. So by limiting those factors, I've limited that down to giving about uh, about 25% to 20% usually for a bill, uh, spell card includement to help even out the score a little bit. Same for enemies, right? So, anywho, that's, in, that's the additional slots, right? Uh, I'm going to quickly just read the little thing I typed up. Uh, this is to increase the... This is to incre This is the increase of the set deck size and the spell card maximum. These increases allow you to use more cards in your deck to form new synergies and combos amongst your creatures and spells. Uh, so let's say that you're like, oh, there's these, I want to incorporate all these cards. They're so cool. I want to be able to summon these things in different fights or include a card in my deck in case I need it as utility outside of battle and put that in my deck instead. Maybe I need to summon a riding horse to ride on, etc. Who knows? By having those extra slots, you can incorporate more creatures in if you want. So keep in mind this spell card maximum 
Meanwhile, you have a set deck size. So if you really don't want to run any spell cards in your deck, you technically don't have to. Um, I, I just took that maximum because that's like the cap. That's the max. You can't have more than that because otherwise, um, when a battle starts, and I probably should explain how a battle starts quick, at least the general idea, right? Battle starts, each player will draw three cards. And from those cards, you have to pick a creature to summon. Um, at least right out of the gate, right? If you have a spell card maximum of two, you're always going to have a creature in your hand by default. As the levels get up higher, and let's say perhaps you draw three cards, and there's three spells and you don't have any creature, you proceed to mulligan your hand, put it in the bottom of your deck, discard it, the spells, whatever you do, and then draw a new hand. And because you had a mulligan, the enemy will get to draw one free card. Give them more options than you, they'll have four cards to start. So that when it's their turn in initiative, they, if, they don't have a, if they don't have a creature, then they'll have the mulligan, etc. But if you... So by going first initiative, right, um, it could kind of hurt you because if you have the mulligan first and give the enemy cards, extra card in their hand, that increases their chances of having a creature to summon. Now, this is also excluding the fact if you have a creature that's already your buddy that's already out, they're already going to be out and their used card, you're only going to draw two instead of three to compensate because you already have a creature that you've summoned, right? So you're already ahead of the game. They're that a bonus, right? Um, but anywho, fight starts, right? Everyone draws three cards. Um, you then can proceed to summon a creature if you don't have a creature already out. And then you go through everyone else's initiative based on you as the person, because you're giving the commands after all. And then the creatures duke it out and fight. Um, if it's a wild creature, you everyone will summon a creature. You could summon a creature at a time if you want. Basically, if, if one of your creatures attacks a wild creature, the fight is on. That's <laughs> rolls initiative, etc. It goes. If the creature attacks you, then you have to spend your turn to summon a creature, and then that creature gets to attack. Probably the creature that you summon is going to be in front of you, protecting you, usually, right? That's how things work. And yeah, so that's, that's the rough, like I said, rules mechanics we've discussed. We're discussing a lot on Discord currently, so if you want to be part of that discussion, I'll make some of the rules. That'd be awesome. Um, but there's a lot of stuff that I have saved in my notes elsewhere that's not going to be talked about in this video because or this episode because this is becoming quite long already. Um, but anywho, I'm going to keep going with what I got to show you guys I've been doing stuff, obviously, behind the scenes. Um, anyway, that was fifth level, right? You get your proficiency bonus upgrade from two to three. The additional slots. Set deck size goes up to 12. Spellcard maximum becomes three. Sixth level, class path awakening. Um, this is basically, hey, which which class path did you choose? Well, now you get a benefit from being in that class. It's like how in D&D, right, every, most classes have subclasses, whether if you're a rogue, you pick arcane trickster, etc. If you're a mage, you pick, or a wizard, you pick different uh, schools to study in, and then at each certain levels or so, you get a benefit because you're in that school. Same thing here. Uh, depending on which class path, you, class path you've chosen, whether if it's power, celestial, or mystic, you'll be able to get that next upgrade, like, hey, you're in this group, here's your benefit. Cool. Along with having the same 12, set deck size, three spoken maximum, etc. Seventh level, Sealbreaker. Sealbreaker is one of the last ideas that I had for this, for this table. Um, and I run this over the Discord, and some people are cool with it. Um, so, I might as well explain the rough idea of how to open a card pack, right? Uh, I'm going to make card packs that will be in this module when it's finished. Like I said, I have a lot of work I have to do. So, all the help is more than welcome uh, for me reaching out, asking questions, etc get feedback. Um, I'm going to make a lot of card packs, right? And each card pack for players to open. Uh, right now, the rough numbers are being, I think it is, let me see. Going down to my seal breaker stat. Yes. 
um, go to my notes quick. I believe it's common, uncommon, rare, epic, mystic. A rare, epic, legendary, mystic. Going to the Discord right now. Check quick. Yeah. Common, uncommon, rare, epic, legendary, and mythical are the six um, types of creatures you could open in a card pack, right? Not saying every rarity is in every card pack because some stuff specific to higher level creatures or lower level creatures. But anyway, when you reach seventh level as an Auromancer, you get the ability Sealbreaker. Sealbreaker says, Having opened the seals of a few card packs and releasing the divine energy inside, you gain the power of a Sealbreaker. A Sealbreaker gets to reroll one die roll in either the common, uncommon, or spell selection when opening a card pack. This can be made after seeing the cards from the pack. By gaining this power, it allows you to more readily be able to get a card that will work better for your collection. So what that means is, as you're playing, right, opening your card packs as you do, you will have to roll five commons, three uncommons, a spell, and then a rare, epic, well, legendary, mythical, depending on what the pack is, right? Obviously, introductory packs might only have rares and epics. Later on, they might have epics, legendaries, etc. And those are broken up by creature CR. That's all stuff I'm doing behind the scenes. Okay. So that's a big portion of this, is me making the creatures, which are very fun. And I like to do, and I've made some fun ones. But anywho. So, as you roll from the list, you are then able to re-roll one in the common, uncommon, or spell category. Which is huge, right? Let's say you're trying to collect copies of your cards to fuse them to power them up. Um, I might as well explain what that is because we're talking about it. So you start and you got one card of a crab. Best example, right? Crab. You've gone out, bought some crabs out in the wild. A few of them have dropped their cards. You go back to the guild hall. You're like, all right, I've acquired three crab cards from killing wild crabs. Okay. Tell my level one crab that I've been using in combat. And my little buddy, I like him. He does a little pincer attack. Doesn't have much help, but he's cute, right? Take my level one crab. I take any level crab, any one card of a level crab that I have. I can then fuse those to make a level two. And I also have two more copies of the crabs, right? That Because I, I said it came back with three. So now I have my level two crab. I take two other level X crabs. That's three cards total. Three crab cards total. Fuse them. Make a level three. And so forth. Um, I think that'll be how I'll kind of go about fusing creatures, right? So that's where it's, the scam will get interesting. Because as cards level up, they'll get bonuses. Um, depending on which level they hit. I'm thinking level four is, is a fair level to have cards evolve. That means you've accumulated seven total card, seven copies of one card to make it evolve. Which for the basic cards like crab, obviously that'll be a little easier than getting something like uh, ancient red dragon, right? <laughs> so that's kind of where the trade-off will be with this game. Where yes, there's weaker Orma. But the chances of powering them up to a higher level is a lot better. It'd be a lot easier. So that's the kind of compensate, right? Because like in games like Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh, etc., there's those weaker cards. There's those Route One Mons in Pokemon, right? Or there's like the uh, Karibo, right? The weaker guys in Yu-Gi-Oh, etc. Uh, so by doing this, you kind of give those weaker things a a sort of chance <laughs> to compete with things. Now, I'm sure in no universe, no matter how high you level up a crab, will ever be able to defeat an ancient red dragon. Obviously, bad example, but you know what I mean. Um, 
So it gives those weaker guys a fighting chance. Because you're not always going to draw your best creature in every fight. You need to have those other supporting creatures to be strong enough to carry you if you don't draw them. And that's what makes it kind of like an interact. Like, that's because of the card dynamic, right? Because in card games, you build a deck. You're not always going to draw every card you need every time you need it. That's where the it comes into being able to roll on a table for a card. So that's what Sealbreaker is, right? You open a card pack when you're playing with the players at your playgroup. And you roll for what card you get. And you're like, oh, I know I opened this card pack last time. And I know that there was a kobold in it. And I'm trying to get my kobold to level 4 so it can, can level up. There's crabs, for example, right? I'm trying to get my crab to level up. I'm just a few shy. You know what? I'm going to reroll that common that I rolled. I don't need another blight or whatever it is, right? I want to try to get another crab. You get that crab. And you're like, yes, okay. I can bring it to the fusion station. Power it up. Have it get stronger. And now I have a king crust station, right? A uh, little spoiler. is one of my evolutions I've made for card, right? So then now your crab card becomes as... Crustacean, it gets a special ability upon it being a level up. Yep, I think it's going to have homebrew abilities too. <sighs> it's a lot, but I'm ready for the challenge, man. I have a very imaginative mind. You gotta understand, like, doing this Pokemon podcast, having played Pokemon for years, I need to have this imaginative mind to do all this stuff, you know? Anywho, I know I'm talking really fast. I'm going to calm down a little bit. Just <laughs> because I'm excited. You know, this is a fun project. Hopefully, you guys are getting hyped hearing about all these different things that are happening. Um, anywho, so that's what Sealbreaker is, right? You're able to then re-roll to try to roll a number that's more better for your deck or what you're trying to go for to help give a little more selection. Because obviously getting garbage all the time isn't the best. But if you can have selective garbage, perhaps that's a little better. Uh, eighth level, another enhancement, etc. Ninth level, additional slots. Proficiency bonus goes up to four. Set deck size goes up to 16. Your spell card maximum in your deck of 16 now becomes four or, or 25%, if you will. 10 level you get your uh, you get another class path awakening a special thing for your class 11th level call of the oru what is call of the oru you say well call of the oru as you've grown bonds with your oromon that you've been collecting you feel in yourself a connection to a very specific type of oru that you prefer choose a creature type and all of your oromon casted by you get a plus two to hit if they are of the chosen creature type so at this point, being 11th level, you probably have acquired a lot of cards, right? Either from the wild, helping people in grass, collecting on the card packs, you've acquired quite a bit. Perhaps you've had to even buy more sleeves to hold on to your cards. At this point, you probably have enough, and you're like, you know, unlike my buddy over there, I have a lot of undead creatures. And I think I might want to play as an undead Oromancer, right? And summon skeleton zombies. Uh, skeleton minotaur cards for example right zombie beholder if you will right summon a bunch of like floating dead guys here a bunch of little zombie beholders you know fun little creature there and uh have that help you in battle and you're like i have a lot of those so i might as well click pick that as my uh call of the armor right i'll become a undead oromancer and as thus you'll get that plus two to hit with those creatures and if they're the chosen creature type, and all the creature types are listed there, depending on what you're playing with. So, yeah, that gives you basically a little deck theme, if you will, to try to surround your deck by. And once that's chosen, that will be chosen from there on out, because it's, it's presumptive, right? You're halfway through all the levels in Dungeons & Dragons. I mean, obviously, it curves, and there's exponential growth with D&D. I get you. But, like, at that point, you've acquired a lot of cards. <laughs> you should have a little basic idea on where you're kind of headed towards for deck themes, etc. 12th level is enhancement again, so you just 
power up a creature, power up yourself with a feat uh, uh, benefit, uh, feat or ability bonus, ability score improvement, what have you. 13 additional slots, level 13, you go to 5 proficiency, your deck's 20, you have 5 slots, etc. 14th level, class path awakening, you get another bonus. 15th level, deeper knowledge. So you are almost done with leveling up the world of D&D, right? 15th level. Usually in D&D, when you're 15th level, you get a lot of powerful stuff, and you will here as well. 15th level, deeper knowledge. You're almost to mastering what it takes to command the Oro to its full potential. With this upgrade, your disc will now continue to power until you lose three Oromon in a single fight, and you are now considered an elite Oromancer, so you can change your key card whenever you want. <laughs> and it takes three creatures to make your disc run out of power, so that's pretty cool. Let you survive longer in fights. Let's make make because at this point, right? It's it's assumed that you're fighting like 15th level creatures. You're fighting the big leagues. You're probably gonna have something die to a dragon's fire breath. A lot of things don't survive that pretty well. Or if you're fighting a bad guy, DMs, this is a good spot to take note. Um, if things have lair actions, players don't really get lair actions because their creatures aren't in their lair, but you can bet wild creatures do. So that gives a little advantage there for DMs, and it makes DMs at that point, I think, feel, okay, well, it's scary to kill off a player's first creature because then you're potentially afraid of killing off their second and having their disc run out of power and they're just out of the fight. Now that they have three that can die, Makes things last a little longer. Makes fights a little more intense. Same for enemies, right? If an enemy is a 15th level Oromancer and they're an elite Oromancer, it takes them to lose three. So now that if it's a 3v1 fight, you can have them maybe use strong creatures, but now they don't have to worry about getting bodied as, as fast, um, etc. So that's uh, deeper knowledge at 15th level, being able to, like I said, being an elite Oromancer and taking three hits until your Aura Disc dies. 16th level's Enhancement. The last enhance, uh, one of the last enhancements, I'll say. Seventeenth um, level is additional slots. You go get a plus six to proficiency, a thirty card deck at max. That's a set number of thirty, not even at max. It's just that's it, thirty and six spell cards you're allowed. Eighteenth is a, your final class path awakening. Nineteenth, I do have enhancement here. I may change that nineteenth level, but I. I I think, according to the basic rules, I think most classes, I think you get that as your, like your last eight bonus, if you will, for you or your cards. And then 20th level is obviously Master of the Oro. I'll read that quick. Master of the Oro. With this skill, you have mastered the art of commanding the Oro. Your mythical single creature attack cards can now be summoned as their creature forms to fight with during combat. They may also be your key card. That's a lot to take in. Um, your mythical or mystic, uh, your mythical creatures, right? That's the rarity I gave for like the top rarest creatures. Until you're a master of the Oru, since those things hit very hard and have a lot of health and are very big and will make fights last quite a while, they can be summoned to do one attack. Consider them a pseudo spell card that can do one of their attacks and then they fade away. But usually those things at that point have a, have a very strong attack or a very special signature move, if you will, that they possess, the mythical creatures. So with that, once you reach level 20, you can summon those things. Those things would be your key card. You could ride potentially a Tarrasque around if you want to do that, because that is your, that's your baby. You summoned him. That's your buddy. He'll listen to you. So, yeah, I figure that's a good reward for level 20. Being able to just have those cards that were limited to doing special things because they were so OP now that you command them as the master of them. 
So that was a lot to take in. We're almost done, guys. Thank you all for bearing with me. Hopefully this idea has got you hyped. I'm hyped for it. Like I said, there's a lot of mechanics and rules that I still need to establish for this because it's quite a bit. Um, but I might as well talk about the enhanced backgrounds I made. And obviously, if you've been watching on YouTube, you, I'm sure you've paused and read a bunch. Um, I'll go into those enhanced backgrounds, right? So when you pick your pick your starter in the game, pick your starting theme, what you want to do, you're going to have to pick a background. Normal D&D. A lot of them are usual, run-of-the-mill stuff. I kept their skill proficiency bonuses pretty close to what you get. You get equipment. Basically what it is, is you get the, the, the background's the same. You get the same equipment that you would if you were that background usually. Except you also get a deck bonus. Here's what I mean. Our enhanced backgrounds. Acolyte. Acolytes usually get insight and religion as a skill proficiency bonus. Uh, their deck bonus is celestial. Might as well explain what deck bonuses are before I get into them. Uh, okay, so I'm going to read you what enhanced backgrounds are. These backgrounds are devised to help give the player characters a sense of their characters before the story begins, right? How did your character start? What is their background? What did they do in this world before they've been introduced to the art of aromancy? So the deck bonus gives a specific class a plus two to all damage rolls of cards of that creature's type, rarity, or ability. Attention to that there. I may change that to a plus two to hit. I have to decide damage might not be enough because at late games, what's an additional plus two damage going to do for you? We'll see. That might be a plus two to hit. So overall, if you combine that with your Call of the Aura, which gives you another plus two to hit, you could at that point have your creatures of a specific type getting an additional plus four to hit. Pretty good considering creatures usually don't have the largest plus, but you know, if you're attacking each other. So this to help give you the early deck building theme, kind of what my character is good at, what what's about them. And some of them were a little bit of a stretch. Bear with me, right? I had a I tried to incorporate almost every creature type and ability to a background, if I could. Not ability, but creature type to a background. So those things are going to plus two their ability rolls. All the backgrounds keep the same languages and starting equipment as they normally would. Many of the backgrounds are the same from D&D 5e, where some are different. I will get into the differences as we go through. Okay. Uh, for those that uh, can see, you'll see them here. But listening, here you go. So background name, Acolyte. Normal Acolyte. Uh, insight Religion. Deck bonus, Celestial. So if you play a Celestial creature, they'll have a plus two damage possibly to hit. And then later on, if you pick that again as your Call of the Oro, they stack. So you kind of want to build your deck around Celestial cards. Charlatan, Deception, Sleight of Hand. I figure those are like the kind of sneaky guys, right? They could do a little deck bonus with a fiend. Criminal, Deception and Stealth, Undead. Kind of picture that as like, you'll never even take me alive, even in death, right? They uh, come back alive, they keep fighting, keep doing crime, etc. So, figured Undead for Criminals, kind of cool. Uh, entertainer, you're an entertainer, right? Maybe you're a MC at the Oromancer Battle Arena. Maybe you are a... Entertainer at the bar, stand-up comedian, whatever you are in your world, right? Uh, you get acrobatics and performance, and your deck bonus is humanoid. So any humanoid-like creature will get that bonus. Uh, gladiator Duelist, one of our different ones. So Entertainer, parentheses, Gladiator is a normal feat. So you would use that, bonuses, those languages, etc. But a Gladiator Duelist gets athletics and performance, and their deck bonus is giant. I kind of picture them because in the normal D&D book, right, it's Entertainer, Prince's Gladiator. So somebody that's an entertainer, but they fight for a living, right? So I picture Gladiator Duelist is a cool um, enhanced background, if you will, and it specialized in giants. So things that are Hill Giant, etc., Storm Titan, all that stuff. I think it's as a giant, as a deck bonus, or deck uh, creature, uh, excuse me, 
giant as a creature type will be able to use that to do special things. Uh, next one, Guild Artisan. That's a run-of-the-mill usual one, I'm pretty sure. It's usually called just a Guild Artisan. Yeah. And they get Insight, Persuasion, and I could easily picture them using Constructs, right? Doing a little uh, little tinkering guy, a little robot, a little creature walking over towards you. You know, maybe they're specialized in Modrons, if you will, if you're a fan of those. Um, yeah, so I could picture them using little uh, mechanical things to aid them in their guild building-wise. Next one, Hero of Legend. That's a that's a fun one. Uh, animal handling, survival, and I gave them the deck bonus of dragon. So if you like dragons, maybe you could be a hero of legend in your town. What that equates to, that's simply just a folk hero. But I was like, you know, let's spice this up. Let's give folk hero a different little background and give it hero of legend. Perhaps you've done something heroic for the town. You stood up against the crime boss that was in the town and you were able to beat him up, help protect the town. You're a legend, you know. You haven't explored much of the world. You don't know what Auromancer cards are, but you stood up for the week when they needed you, and in the town you're considered like a hero legend. You know, people know you for the good deeds you've done. So I figured with that, you have animal handling and survival because you're a hero. Perhaps maybe you slayed a baby dragon someday in your life. I don't know. That's up for you to think about. Uh, next one is Nurse with Medicine and Religion, and their deck bonus is Fae. So using like Fae, like sprites, satyrs, etc., stuff that can heal things, you know, along the lines of Fae. Nurse, and Nurse is the same as Hermit from the original backgrounds. So I was like, yeah, I mean, you could be a Hermit, but there's Outlander. And I was like, this kind of could be the same thing. So we'll do Nurse. Figured Nurse or a healing thing, getting medicine and religion and using Fae healing creatures right up their alley. Uh, next thing is Outlander. They get athletics and survival. And of course, they're out in the wilderness. They know a bunch of stuff. So obviously their deck bonus is Beasts. Right? Think about it. Like, they just use natural beasts. They're around beasts all the time, so they get a bonus to beasts. Bears, hawks, etc. Next one is the first pure... <laughs> we'll see how it works. Enhanced background of Pack Collector. A special one specifically made for Oromon that gets sleight of hand and persuasion. And their deck bonus is rares. Rares? That's not a creature type. Well... Rares are a rarity of type of cards that I was explaining before, right? You have your common, uncommon, rare, epic, and legendary. So if your deck is filled with rare creatures and spells, well, you'll get that additional bonus to those cards. Not even filled, but just like when you play that card that is a rare rarity, you'll get that bonus. What is a pack collector? Well, two proficiencies, one type of gaming set, forgery kit. Their deck bonus, rare cards in your deck get a plus two to their damage rolls. Yeah, so see again, I copy damage rolls. We'll see if that stays. Um, that might be way too underpowered as Pack Collector gets later on in life, and they're like, wow, I have an additional two damage to my bow. Fun. Equipment. Uh, forgery kit. Like I said, so they're proficient with a forgery kit, and they start with a forgery kit. So perhaps you can like forge your own cards, you can forge notes if you need, etc. They also start with a coupon book. A pack of your choice. So um, there will be packs that you can choose from to potentially start with. Um, pack of your choice will be limited to a special section when I go into packs and I like I should scroll through this module later on I'll make a whole list of all the packs and there will be a few that will say pack of your choice to indicate that the pack collector can choose from those specific packs to start with a blank travel journal you can take notes of the awesome battles and deals you found in shops and a belt pouch containing 10 gold that's a fair amount to start with uh, features every time you buy a pack you'll get a stamp in your coupon book after five stamps, you get a pack for 25% off your next pack purchase. So, while the people are paying full price for packs, 
you get five stamps. The next one you get is 25% off. You get a deal on all the packs that you get. Because I assume in this world, players are probably spending their money that they've acquired through quests, battles, etc. on packs. Because you want to build your deck better, right? Because that's what you're fighting with. It's like normal D&D where it's like, oh, I'm going to buy the best weapon. Or, oh, I'm going to buy the best armor. Your cards are what make you you, right? They're your creatures. They're your team. They're your buddies that you've built and grown up with different battles and sharing the memories of, oh, that's a good card, or, oh, that card sucks. I'm not putting that in my deck again, you know? Just having that fun stuff go on. That's what's kind of about. So kind of figured getting a little bonus, getting packs a little cheaper. Originally, I'd be 50%. It changes to 25. We'll see. If 25 people like, eh, 25 is not that good. I might do 50. We'll see. I mean, getting a pack half off is kind of a big deal. So it's spending like a thousand gold if it's a super premium pack and only getting for 500 that eh, might be a little broken that's why i kind of did 25 but we'll see next one uh for background let's say you're a pirate let's say you're someone that sailed the seas and you're known for being notorious you have athletics and perception and what is your what type of creatures or what type of deck bonus do you get water breathing <laughs> figured you're out on the seas all the time water breathing is the way to go so for pirates, you play a creature that's a water breathing on land. If it has just a swimming speed or cannot breathe on land, I figured making it so that it has half speed on land is a good trade-off for that. It can still breathe on land. I'm kind of doing the pseudo-Pokemon where I kind of like in Pokemon where if you summon like a Goldeen or like a fish out of water or it's a water type, they can breathe on land. So a pirate could summon a reef shark to attack with on land. And now that's a shark that's on land has half movement speed but still is a shark on land that thing's probably going to attack really hard with its bite etc so that hopefully could be fun next one is student um history persuasion and they have the plant background uh plant for deck bonus student was based off of a noble right instead of having like noble hierarchies and stuff i could just make it a student um students have history and persuasion and maybe they specialize in plants right maybe they're studying for plants um Maybe there's plants that they've seen all their life, help mom plant stuff in the garden, whatever you will, right? Students usually probably like a younger child, the student. Um, and they have plants. I figured who's not the final spot for plant? This creature type, being honest, could have been Outlander. Outlander could have had them. Your plants, maybe better. At some point, maybe I'll switch uh, Outlander for plant and give beast to student. Maybe they group with the dog. I don't know. Um, so some of them were a little tough. That's one you kind of got to work with me on. Uh, spy. Deception, stealth, they use oozes because oozes can get into secretive places easily. Morph the body into basically the thinnest of liquids and still be a solid and get into places and sneak around like a spy could. Why not? Um, sage, nature, and history. So the reason why I gave sage nature, instead of arcana, like it usually has, because you already get arcana. So I might as well mix it up and have you get nature and history. And deck bonus is elementals or sages. Obviously, they're like the wizards, right? Wizarding backgrounds. Let's say like you're a sage in a certain field of study and now all of a sudden you want to start going into aromancy while well, you'd have that background in nature and history and you'd be able to cast elementals with a bonus. Uh, sailor. Let's say you're not a gung-ho tough pirate but you're just a simple sailor, man. Athletics and perception because you can see far and you have to work on a ship and you probably amphibious creatures is probably up your alley. So creatures that can breathe in both land and water because I could see you having stuff. Why not? You're around people on land, you're around people on water, you yourself are around water all the time, but you go on land all the time. So amphibious, I'd say for you. Uh, soldier being the last one. 
athletics, intimidation, and they have aberrations because they've seen some pretty scary stuff if they were a soldier in their background, right? You have to pick like flaws and feats and stuff, and I'm pretty sure soldiers are pretty dark ones, right? You've witnessed some horror or some scary thing. So perhaps you've learned to master your fears and you're good with aberrations. Almost done, guys. And yes, I my voice is getting pretty scratchy. I apologize. So All right, so moving on to the last thing that I've wanted to show you, tell you guys about or show you guys was the class path discovery, right? I mentioned the different levels of class paths. You have, yeah, class paths is every four levels starting from six. So six, 10, 14, 18. Will let you be able to awaken a new skill of your choice class pass that sets you apart from the others this skill helps to further enhance your type of play and may strengthen certain deck builds as well i have just started with the basic um just typed up before i started recording this the the power class path basic right i don't have any awakening set for anything else i just want to explain quickly with like the power path and what they are so going down the class going down the class path of power allows you to dominate over your foes through the use of pure damage to be able to knock out their Oromon faster than any other class. Choosing this pathway allows you to add your proficiency bonus to hit on power spells, while also allowing you to use your celest using also allowing you to use celestial spells normally. So you're not just limited to using power stuff, but you don't get your bonus if you cast celestial spells. As you would if you cast power spells. So what that means like i said power spells you get to add your proficiency to hit which is quite strong if you're casting a spell that needs to hit somebody and you have to make a spell attack roll you get to add that bonus to hit if it's a power spell if it's celestial you don't get to add that bonus and you just cast it flat out right now due to being so power focused there is no time to learn mystic spells and you subtract your proficiency to hit with mystic spells so each of these spell, each of these class pathways, there's three of them. Each of them, you'll be able to get a bonus for using its own spells. You will be able to cast one other class path normal, no bonus, and the one with a pretty heavy disadvantage as you go more into your class, as you level up more as an Oromancer. That's a kind of feeling of, yes, everybody can cast every spell in D&D. But... You get bonuses for casting some. You can cast some normally, and you're really hindered to use the others. We'll see how that works. Um, as a heads up, I've cut out a good number of spells. Well, not a good number. I've cut out some spells. Basically, anything that I can conjure something that's an animal or creature, cut that out because obviously you're summoning creatures already. Uh, I cut out most ritual spells because you probably won't have time to cast a ritual spell in combat. Uh, or really outside of combat. So most ritual spells are gone. So... Hopefully this is where playtesting comes in and people are like, yeah, the spell's gotta go, breaking the game. Fine, it's gone. We're not getting an extra vision, right? Anywho, a, I gave an example of a starting deck. People are probably like, what's a starting deck look like? So the power starting, the power starting deck. Like I said, not to a T. A little summary of kind of like what to kind of expect in a starting deck. So, they have... There's a D10 here. It's a, it's a nice little table of cards here. So their one slot is Scorpion. You're probably at home like, Scorpions suck. Yes. Yes, they do. Um, challenge rating zero creature. Uh, it's got 11, art, 11 AC. One hit point. 
Better not die. Better not get hit ever, right? But in action, melee weapon attack plus two to hit, reach five feet. One creature, he's looking at one creature, hit one piercing damage. Oh boy. And the target must make a DC 9 con saving throw. Otherwise, they take 4 or parentheses 1d8. Usually, probably roll the 1d8. Poison damage on a failed save or half as much on a successful one. So, for reference, that is the bottom of their deck, right? That's usually probably the worst creature. You probably don't want to summon all the time, but if you draw that and it's what you got, it's what you got. Like there's no, if, no way around that. Um, D10. Slot 2 is Giant Fire Beetle. You got different things like Giant Fire Beetle. Crawl and Claw. I want to try to like mix up the creature types depending on what background you pick. Um, Vulture is four. Um, Kobold is five. As you start getting towards the topper end, you got Skeleton. Skeletons are a little better than Scorpion, right? You got AC 13, hit points of 13. Um, you have a short sword attack and a short bow. So if something's away from you, it can be attacked. Damage immunities, damage vulnerabilities, condition immunities, etc. So. Uh, that's like a challenge quarter, right? Um, some other things, like I believe Cobalt's like an eighth. You know, so you got some eights in there. I think Vulture is also an eighth. Or Vulture might be zero. Cobalt might be an eighth. Skeleton's like a quarter-ish. Uh, riding Horse as a starting card. That's a quarter as well. Uh, riding Horse, why? AC of 10, hit points of 13. It only knows the attack hoofs. But plus five to hit. Not bad for early game thing. Plus five to hit. It's for 2d4 plus 3 bludgeoning damage. Well, you're taking out a few things with that. Or, if you want to summon it for an hour outside of battle, if you need to run off and do something, while the, like maybe run to get reinforcements while the, this undead army is attacking the town, you summon your riding horse and you get on that and you book it to the next town to get help or whatever it be, you know? So riding horse is kind of more of a, this is a creature here for utility, but could be used in battle. Cool. And then, uh, the best card in the deck. Slot 8 <laughs> is a pseudo dragon. That's right. It's a one fourth creature. So it's right along the lines of an early game thing. This would probably be equivalent to a rare, possibly an epic. I think just a rare though, right? Have each, if each starter deck start with some commons, some uncommons, and rare. You know, I think that's fair. Pseudo dragon. Armor class 13, hit point 7. Ryan, that doesn't sound very good. Well, as a speed of 15 and a flight of 60 feet. So you have a very first flying creature. Pretty cool. Uh, Keen Sense has advantage on wisdom checks that rely on sight, hearing, or smell. Pretty good for a lookout creature. The Pseudo Dragon has advantage on saving throws against spells and other magical effects. Well, let's say the enemy sends out a scorpion and tries to sting you as a Pseudo Dragon. Well, you're going to have advantage on that save. It's pretty cool. Limited Telepathy. The Pseudo Dragon can magically communicate simple ideas, emotions, and images telepathically with any creature within 100 feet of it that can understand a language. So that's right now understands common and draconic, but it can't speak, but it can speak telepathically to things. Fun role playing experience, right? Actions. Bite. Uh, plus four to hit. 1d4 plus two piercing. Sting, because Pseudo Dragons have a little tail. Uh, plus four to hit. Reach of 5 feet, 1d4 plus 2 piercing. Target must succeed on a DC 11 con saving throw or become poisoned for 1 hour. If the saving throw fails by 5 or more, the target falls unconscious for the same duration or until it takes damage or another creature uses an action to shake it awake. So that's pretty cool, right? And then 2 slots on the bottom, 9 and 10 are for spells. In addition to working on making creatures, their evolutions, etc. 
I'm also working on the spells, trying to divide them up into what class path would learn what spell, which has been an experience to say the least. So with that, that is all I have for you guys for, for this week as an, as an update. It was a lot of stuff, a lot to take in. And I haven't even gotten to the basic rules yet. <laughs> so obviously this is going to take some time. Perhaps I can do weekly updates, maybe bi-weekly updates. I have to see how things look. Um, also, when this goes up today, which will be March 28th, by the time this goes up, it's my birthday. So, yay, happy birthday to me. Um, so, I'd like to get this this going. Right? I'd like to spread the word about this. So, if you have people that you could share this with, maybe as a possible little birthday present to me, maybe you share it to somebody that's in your playgroup, or you share it with somebody that you think would be interested in card game, capture collectible card game systems. And um, let me know your thoughts, because I, I value people's opinions, right? Like, is this something where card game collectors can see themselves playing someday in a D&D fashion with the creatures of Dungeons and Dragons as more get added, spells get added, etc. Like I said, just basic introductory uh, basic introductory player handbook shenanigans. You know, nothing nothing too fancy yet. But if this takes off, I don't see why I couldn't eventually make a Volvos, Mordecai and Tonal Foes, extensions of creatures, you know, have more cards and expansion packs, etc. So... I look forward to doing this, and um, like I said, please let me know your guys' thoughts down below, and if you want to become a member of the Discord, obviously that's down below also. The Reddit for the Aramon Reddit will be down below for people to maybe submit fan drawings of what they think um, players could look like with their discs on, summoning creatures, etc. That could be a fun little thing to do on the Reddit at some point. So if, you, if you're an artist and you just want to dabble and this idea sounds cool, you can show your love and maybe submit a picture too. And if I ever use anybody's art for anything, I will be sure DM you directly, ask first, etc. Because we did that all for the podcast before. Never used anybody's art that wasn't mine. I would DM them, reach out, make sure it was okay. So, if you feel like you're an artist and you want to contribute to this, and if it, the art's good, and, if the art's good, and I think it'd be a good fit for this, I don't see why I can reach out to you. And you could have your art be in a uh, D and D book. You know, I mean, obviously it's a fan made module, but it could be cool seeing your picture there and telling your playgroup, like, guys, like I put this picture in when this was in development. You know, because I'm going to need pictures to fill blank space, guys. Not every page is going to be filled with words all the time. A lot will, but, you know, getting those uh, fan-made drawings, I think, would be really cool. So, you guys know an artist? If you're an artist and you want to start getting your ideas down, I'll be sure to thank you right below the pictures and stuff like that. And I've talked enough. My voice is starting to go. So, at least with normal D&D, right, I could take a break, hear other people talk, get drinks of water, things like that. I've been just going. It is late for me. It is it is early, I should say, on my birthday when I'm recording this. So, um, yeah, hopefully you guys enjoy it. And uh, let me know your thoughts down below. Does it seem like a good direction? Should I change stuff, etc.? Let me know down below. If you like this and you're on YouTube, please give it a like. It helps with the algorithm. It helps get us discovered. If you're not subscribed, subscribe so you can get these weekly updates when they get released. If you're not in the Discord and you want to talk with me and help me plan this and make this as I ask questions to the chat, be sure to in the Discord so that you can participate and help build this project so I can thank you up above and stuff like that, you know, because I want to be able to help make this an amazing experience for everybody to enjoy. So I've talked enough now. You've heard me ringing off your ear, speaking really fast, nonstop. So without further ado, I'd like to thank you all again for listening. And I'm so excited to be able to keep going with this project. And I just want to give you guys this update for this week on all the stuff I've been working on behind the scenes. So with that, Catch you guys later for the next one.